Welcome to The Perfect Storm, a bi-weekly podcast for business executives and cybersecurity professionals. Industry veterans Michael Markulek and Matthew Webster chat with guests about the latest cyber news, threats, and trends, and how all of it impacts their businesses. Harbor Technology Group is a cybersecurity consulting firm that offers advisory services to the SMB. Harbor believes by taking a proactive rather than reactive approach to cybersecurity, business leaders can develop a cybersecurity program that will address external requirements, exceed client expectations, and ultimately take their organization to the next level. Harbor's innovative processes are based on industry standard frameworks that are tailored to meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining another episode of Harbor Technology Group's Perfect Storm. Uh, Super excited today to have with us Lynn Burns. Um, He's president of an organization called NCMS. Uh, Lynn will tell us a little bit about them, but I've asked Lynn to join us, and he was nice enough to to do so, um, to talk a little bit more about CMMC. It has been a topic of, of past podcasts but just, uh, just like we've talked about in those past podcasts, uh, the CMMC world continues to change. We're also, uh, he's going to talk a little bit about something called CUI and those in the government space should know what CUI is, um, controlled unclassified information. The interesting thing for those of you listening that are not part of the, the, uh, the government sector, let's say, uh, don't do work with the government, et cetera, and that being the federal government. Um, CUI and the conversation around it is, is still uh, interesting because it talks about how you handle and protect uh, sensitive information, which is clearly important for all of us. So, Lynn, uh, that was a long-winded introduction. So, uh, thanks uh, again, as I, as I did when we were setting up uh, for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, I, I appreciate being invited to be on the podcast. I've, I've been kind of excited about it. So, yeah, that's uh, cool. Yeah, and so as you, as you said, I am the president of NCMS, and, and NCMS is, is a volunteer organization that we're about 300 of, 300 of us are volunteers, and we have 7,000 members that, that we, the 300 of us work together to provide security education to our members that, that, that are responsible for contractor security in, in performance of government contracts. So it's really contractors that work with the government. How do you take care of that government information while you're while you're while you're working with it? And it, it used to only focus on classified information, but since CUI and CMMC came onto the the, the forefront, um, we really started boosting up our education on CUI and CMMC and how to protect that. Um, as I said, NCMS has, has been around for sixty years, and it's a it's a long or a long running organization for the protection of, of government information. And originally, there weren't computers. There wasn't digital media. Uh, you know, 60 years ago, we were just protecting classified pieces of paper. And, and the title at that time was the National Classification Management Society. <clears throat> and and a few years ago, they changed the title to, to, to be the Society of Industrial Security Professionals. But they kept the acronym of NCMS. So. It, it, the, the acronym doesn't match the title any longer, but the acronym carries <laughs> it with it. 
Well, it's certainly uh, the title was fitting and, um, you know, saying four letters is a lot easier than uh, a handful of words. That's for sure. So um, it's funny, though, you bring up the, you bring up digital media, you know, in today's world and, and just basically data as it's stored electronically. Um, but and, and maybe I'm getting off topic right away, but uh, but physical data, you know, printed pieces of paper, uh, design specs. Um, that maybe a manufacturing company uses that they bring to the, the manufacturing floor, that still needs to be protected. I mean, what you guys were doing 60 years ago still applies today, right? Oh yeah, very much so. And, and um, most of us that, that work with that government information on the classified side, you know, we still have the, the physical protection um, procedures and, and equipment to protect it. We all have a safe in our office and we all have uh, you know, systems with alarm systems and, and um, intrusion detection systems, uh, badge reader systems, it all goes along with, with protecting that government information. When, when they start rolling CUI out and the, the procedures for, for protecting CUI, it, when you're talking about the, the paper information or, or, you know, not the digital copies, but with the actual physical, it still falls to the, the security manager to protect that because it lines up so closely with our requirements for protecting the, the classified information. And whether you're, you don't have to actually keep it in a safe, but you're still expected to keep an inventory of it. You're still expected to destroy it through a, an approved shredding system. And, and the list goes on and on of how you protect it. But yeah, very much so, it, uh, you're still gonna have paper copies and those paper copies still have to be protected. Right. Well, so let's, let's, let's table the... <laughs> The CUI data for now. We'll put it on the table. Um, we'll we'll come back to that conversation because I do want to I, I do want to maybe get an update of where things stand with uh, with CMMC. Um, we're in CMMC 2.0 currently, right? That's kind of the world we're in. It's on the drawing table right now. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. So when when you when you brief society members uh, or anyone that uh, that you happen to be uh, talking to, what so what do you what do you what are the, the highlights of, of a conversation about CMMC and where things sit? So, so I really focus on two different pieces. I focus on this 800-171 compliance, and then I talk about CMMC. Because for those of us that are working with the government, they rolled out three different DFAR clauses. <clears throat> me. The um, Defense Federal Acquisition Regulation Supplement, they rolled out three clauses last October that became effective on November 30th. And two of those required contractors to, to right now, effective, it was, it was effective one December, 2020, was that they were to, to be working to get compliant with NIST 800-171. And if they weren't working that process, they could lose their next contract award because they're, they're supposed to upload a score into a government database that says, here's our current score. We're working to make it perfect, but here's what it sits at right now. And if the government looks in that database and you haven't entered your, your first cut at the score, they're supposed to, the contracting officer is supposed to tell you, sorry, you would have got this contract, but you didn't have your score in there, so I can't award it to you. So I really focus on that NIST 800-171 compliance right now. And that, as you mentioned, CMMC 2.0 has been, has been put on the drawing board now. And the changes in that have lined it up perfectly with, with NIST 800-171. 
So if you build that compliance now with, with the government requirements for NIST, when we get the real requirements for CMMC, you're going to already have accomplished them because you're going to be, you're already going to know what those requirements are and they're the exact same requirements. You're just going to have to have an external auditor come in and look at it. So where CMMC 2.0 sits right now is they, 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 they wrote what was called, I think it was one uh, CMMC 1.3 and they put that out for public comment and they got public comment back that said, you need to make some changes. And so they've, they've, they've made those changes and they put those changes out as a draft of 2.0. Right. And they, they, they expect to have somewhere between nine months to 24 months of another public comment process and another edit of the document before they, they actually make it a requirement in contracts. So right. we could be looking at a nine month to 24 month delay before CMMC rolls out. But there, but there is a big focus on that, that NIST 800-171 compliance. Right, right. So long story short, um, not that your story was that long, but just as the government stories go, CMMC, a little bit of turmoil, not, not in a bad way, just it's kind of, it's going, it's working through public comments. Um, it, you know, the flavor that's, the, the flavor that we see today that's written on paper may be a little bit different than the flavor we see in 2.1 or 2.0 when it's released, whatever you want to call it. So that, that's, that's happening. That's something that you still see CMMC as a target that the government would like to get to, specifically the DOD, but the government in general would like to get to. Um, but in the meantime, focus on 800-171. Correct. Yeah. That, yeah. And, and, and to your point, that, that CMMC change, um, one of the, the biggest pieces I feel that they, they, they got it right when they, when they rolled out 2.0 I was really worried about small and medium-sized companies and how they were going to be compliant with CMMC and how they were going to afford to pay that auditor to come in and audit their network every three years. And, and what the government has said with this initial draft of, of CMMC 2.0 is that the, the small companies that are not working with controlled and classified information, they're not going to have to pay that professional auditor to come in. They're gonna be able to do their own audit and they're gonna be able to, to create their own score and they're gonna be able to, to upload that into the system. Just as you can right now with, with what I was talking about, the NIST 800-171 compliance. So that change, I think is gonna pull somewhere about 200,000 companies out of that CMMC ecosystem that, that they had envisioned and 200,000 200, potential customers being pulled out of your customer base is a big change to the CMMC program. So it'll be interesting to see how the, the CMMC accrediting body, how they adjust for that and how they adapt and move forward as well. Right. I, I mean, I think that, I mean, Harbor Technology Group is in the business of helping companies prepare for CMMC, just like we help other companies prepare for you know, SOC 2 or, or whatever, insert compliance here. Um, with all that said, we, I was always concerned with the amount of pressure that was going to put on small businesses. I mean, we talked to a company about a year ago that was two guys. Um, and they did, they did, you know, setting aside what they did specifically, but it was something very corner case for the government. And all their business was government. But for them to go through CMMC, 
the whole gyration, it was, I mean, you're talking 50, 60, a hundred thousand dollars. And they're like, I, I, there's, we don't make enough money to pay for that. Now I know that the government was factoring in some being able to write some of that cost off against contracts, but they still had to front the money and, and deal with it all. And just the time that it was going to take. So I think that's, it's nice to hear the government is kind of, you know, maybe slapped themselves across the face and said, listen, these really small businesses, it's really, it's really difficult for them to, to make the investment in time and money uh, to do the full stack and do something that's a little bit more uh, appropriate with the risk that they face. Now, the government, I think, and this is me pontificating, the government needs to make a decision on whether, you know, what type of programs or work they'll give to really small businesses because of that security model. You know, if you're a two-person company, there's probably only so much you can do from a security perspective before you run out of time and probably run out of money. Um, so the government might want to say, listen, as much as we'd like everybody to have a fair shot at this, we've got to be realistic about, you know, the controls they can put around, put in place to protect our data. So um, it's nice to know that the government has is, is, is come off, stepped away from the ledge a little bit with those, you know, those 200 plus thousand companies that... Um, it was going to be a little bit more difficult for them to meet uh, the, all the CMMC requirements. So, so 800-171 for now, uh, continue to enter it in the SPUR system or the, the government uh, uh, systems that, that you're, you're uh, recording the score. And if you're not recording the score, if you're not 100% compliant with 800-171, that you have a POAM in place, a plan of action and milestones, um, to show how you're going to meet 800-171, correct? Correct. And, and, and like you were saying with your, your company that just had two people, I've talked to, to subcontractors that only had one per, you know, they were a one-man office. And he said, you're putting me out of business. And, right. and I was like, it's not me. It's the government. I'm not doing it. You right. know? Don't shoot the messenger. Right. Don't shoot the messenger. And, and even though my, my initial reaction to him was, well, tell your prime you don't want CUI information. Then right. you don't have to comply with the whole list of requirements. You get a sure. much shorter list. But, but he was still facing that, that sixty dollars or $70,000 cost of getting ready for the audit and then another $50,000 to pay for the audit. You know, right. So it, it's, really, it's really taken a lot of pressure off of them by the government saying you still need to comply even if it's with the short list. Of requirements, but you can tell us that you're complying rather than you have to pay somebody but to do it. You can that. do it yourself. Yes, very right. much so. But the, right. the small companies that are going to get CUI, I still have a lot of concerns about how they're going to comply, and I'm, I'm hoping a lot of the large defense contractor companies, you know, the, the, what they call the big five, the the, the Lockheeds, the Northrop's, the Raytheons, the, the the Ball Aerospace, you know, that, that they step forward and that they come up with solutions to say we're going to extend our network to our small subs locations so that when they log in, they're working on our backbone, not on their mm -hmm. own. So they're working under our CMMC compliance, not under their own. Um, and I, but I don't know that, you know, the, the medium-sized primes may not be able to do that for their smaller companies. So it's still, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out over the next couple of years. Yeah, that is, that is interesting. I mean, just like with CMMC 1.0, there were, I mean, all sorts of different approaches. And I, st I still get, you know, because um, uh, because of our participation in CMMC, we get lots of people reaching out to us looking to sell us things like, 
how are you going through it, do the education, et cetera. But it was always, it was always this, this brand new market that was really evolving very, very quickly uh, to kind of address what, you know, on the surface, it was like, from a business perspective, there's 300,000 plus companies that fall into this ecosystem. I mean, that is, that's a pretty nice pond to fish in. I mean, I hate to get into the sales world, but, but I mean, if you're a, if you're a security guy, that's a nice pond to fish in. Um, right. But at the same time, it's a really bad, I mean, the, the fish don't really want to be caught in that pond because they're uh, these one man shops that are, that are doing everything, like you said, to, uh, to avoid doing it. So I, it'll be interesting to see what plays out over the next nine to 24 months. And you, you're, as you and I talked about last week, um, you still are, are, you know, more confident than not that CMMC of some flavor will, will make it to uh, uh, all these uh, contractors. I mean, it'll, it'll be a requirement. I really do think so. Um, yeah. They tried to kill it uh, just before President Trump left office. They, right. they, um, a memo was sent to him saying, can you shut this down? And, and he chose not to shut it down. Um, I really think the government's moving forward with it, especially with, with the, the, the cyber intrusions we've been seeing in the news over the last six months, you know, from the, the solar wind intrusion to, to mm -hmm. the, the intrusions into the, the pipeline out, out on the East Coast that got shut down. I think the government has really turned up their um, rhetoric, if, if that's the right word, on, on their emphasis. Let me go with that word, their emphasis <laughs> on the need for cybersecurity protection. And, uh, right. Yeah, so I, I don't think they're going to walk away from it. I think they're, they're going to modify it. They're going to tone it down a little bit, but I do think they're going to uh, still require everybody to, to follow along with that program. Yeah, and you know, with what's going on in 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 Ukraine and what they're predicting to happen in, in the cyber world with Russia kind of lashing out at uh, organizations, it's um, this is no time to to back off on the security stance. Let's put it that way uh, from right. a cyber perspective. So uh, yeah. maybe maybe those that are kind of new to this space, maybe they've been doing their 800-171, they have a guy that does it or a gal that does it for them. Um, we've talked about CUI, Controlled Unclassified Information, a lot, a, a number of times. Can you give us a little bit of the background on what CUI is and where it's come from and just the, the idea behind it? Oh, Absolutely. So um, following the, the attacks of 9-11 in 2001, there was an investigation into what enabled those attacks to slip through our, our military, our intelligence, and our law enforcement web, you know, and, and to still take place. And what, what they found from that, that investigation was part of the, the cause was that each of those different agencies had unclassified information that could have been meaningful to the other agencies, but they wouldn't share it with each other because they all had different markings and they all had different requirements for who they could share their information with. And so almost 10 years later, President Obama put out a, an executive order that created the Controlled Unclassified Information Program and said that this program's intent is to allow government to share information more freely. So the, the entire Controlled Unclassified Information, the CUI program is intended to enable more sharing of data. And, but at the same time, while we're doing more sharing of data, we also, the, the cyber requirements started rolling out, which require us to protect it 
more stringently while we have it under control of ours, of, of you know, non-government systems. So we have to protect it on the non-government systems, even though they want it to be shared more, more freely on their side. They don't want it being shared um, without our knowledge by somebody in, in uh, hacking our networks and taking the data from us. Right, right. Um, and that's, that's, that program's run out of the National Archives, correct? Absolutely. Uh, President Obama handed off to the National Archives. They handed it off to a, a sub um, committee, if you will, uh, of, of their, their office called the, the Information Security Oversight Office. And they're an advisory group to the president on, on all types of information protection. And, and um, the, the acronym for that is the government acronym, if you will, that is the ISU. And, and the ISU yeah, is running that program. And, and they're not running it just for DOD. They're, that program affects all government agencies. So it's it's it affects the Department of Transportation, the the uh, Department of Justice, the Homeland Security. All all government agencies are going to fall under this uh, the CUI program. So it doesn't matter what government agency you're doing work with, you're going to see CUI requirements, and then you're going to end up with CMMC requirements from from the the, the flow of that program as well. So, so even if you're just working with, um, I, I like to use that. My father-in-law used to make bolts. He was he worked for a tool and die company, and he ended he made bolts for Los Alamos National Labs. So the bolts he made were special bolts. And so right. even if you just make lug nuts for for airplanes, or you make bolts for Los Alamos National Labs you're going to end up with CUI requirements to protect that information about those lug nuts or, or about, you know, because those lug nuts belong to some sort of fighter aircraft or, or some sort of government vehicle, and they're going to want you to protect that information. So everybody that works with the government is going to end up with CUI information and CUI protection requirements. Right. So, so CUI um, is kind of the, the catch-all phrase to describe that type of data today. It's not classified data, which is a whole different level of, of data markings on data, correct? correct. This is unclassified right. data, right? So you don't need to be cleared in any way to, to see this data. It can be shared, assuming that you have the proper controls in place to, to see it and, the, and a need to know to see it. They just, you just don't share it to anyone, right? Um, that's, that's, that's the interesting, interesting thing about the wording of the, of the executive order. So they took out the term need to know, and they said that you could share it for any government required purpose. So mm -hmm. if, if there's a government, if it, if it benefits the government for you to share that information, then you're authorized to share it, even if the other person doesn't actually need to know it to do their job. Okay, right. Yeah, so, so, yeah. so and... And for me, as the president of an organization with 7,000 members, I've pitched this question a couple of times to, to my government counterparts. Can I send CUI information to my 7,000 members if it benefits the government for those other security members to be aware of whatever that government CUI information is? So, assuming it was about protection of information, you know, if they marked protection of information as CUI, could I share it with 7,000 members? And I got a little, you know, silence <laughs> while, they, while they contemplated that idea. That's right. They they, how do I they answer this? How no. do I answer right? <laughs> they right. couldn't say no, because if it was for a government purpose, then yes, I could do that. Okay, so it's not a need to know thing. It's just, if it benefits the government, then it's 
then it's then it's okay to share. And that's that that's that whole idea, you know, coming out of September 11th and what President Obama did, which is being able to share that 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 unclassified data amongst different agencies, right? And even if that's you know the the New York City Police Department that's gotten some information and wants to share it with DHS, but also needs to share it with the FBI, they can do like they can they can all like shuttle the data between each other. Um, I'm talking with my hands a lot, not that everybody can see this, but they they shuttle this data in between each other uh, to benefit the government and ultimately benefit the country, right? Um, right. And, and one of, one of the examples I like to use on that is is if your company was doing work an airport right and, and the air, right. and and under the you know the airport falls under the FAA the FAA falls under the Department of Transportation so likely be well if a city inspector see those plans so that I could you don't have to say no I can't share them with you you can say oh yeah it, it benefits a government purpose for me to share right. it with the city so so that you're not violating any rules by sharing it with the city inspector that way Oh, very cool. Very cool. So that, that data, um, that type of data was, so as we talk to our clients um, and we talk about CUI uh, and they've been doing business with the government and they've, they've been on other contracts, they, they probably have data that's marked in a way that needs to be protected under the new CUI guidelines, but may not be marked CUI. It could be FUOU, right? Um, could be marked sensitive in all sorts of different ways. Can you give a little bit of, is there a, is a rubric or is there some trick that you can kind of, a little gold nugget that you can give to people that, what's, what's kind of the tipping point to know that you have that data in place? The, the government terminology that they're using is, is controlled technical information. Um, you mentioned FOUO. Uh, FOUO, you, you can't work off of the assumption that just because it was marked FOUO, that now it is automatically CUI. The, okay. the rules for those markings were, were two very different rules. Okay. Uh, under CUI, there is supposed to be a government law or a government rule that says you have to protect this information. The policy for FOUO said you can mark, FO, you can mark information as FOUO if the government would like it to be exempt from the Freedom of Information Act. So there was a lot of information that was marked FOUO in order to keep it out of the public eye, but there wasn't a law or a rule that required it to be marked that way. So Interesting. now, now if, you, if you have FOUO, you can't just say, well, now it's CUI. You have to go back to your government customer and say, do you have a law or rule that tells me I need to to protect this at the new at the new CUI level? Uh, but one of the what the government has, has made a point about is is as I mentioned the controlled technical information has a defin a definition that goes with it, and and controlled technical information generally falls under the DOD category. So if you have information that describes um, weapon systems or, or technical um, structure or, you know, any type of government data, let me go that way, um, that may very well be CUI. And right. you still talk to your government customer and get their input. But the, the um, ISOO 
still expect you to protect that information as CUI, even if the government hasn't said specifically, oh, that information we gave you two years ago before we had this program should now be CUI. You should you should know enough that you're protecting it that way anyway. Well, is it is it I mean, so I'm thinking about some of our clients and they have this older data and, um, you know, uh, for official use only data, F-U-O-U. Um, or F-O-U, F-O-U-O. Um, yeah, thank you for laughing with me as, as I get these acronyms wrong. Um, so if, if you default to just protecting the data as you would CUI, you're of course not breaking any rules. It just may be overkill for what's necessary for that data, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with yeah. you on that point. Okay. I mean, it's just, you know, we have a, a number of clients and, and I talk to a lot of people that, that, are not just doing work for the federal government or the DOD in particular. Uh, they do, you know, as much if not more, uh, you know, private industry work as well. Um, and it's just, you know, it can be complicated on <laughs> how you deal with data and how you deal with systems. Um, the nice thing is that 800-171 is a good framework just from a security knob standpoint. It's a great way to secure environments and data. Excuse me. Um, but it is different than some of the requirements that are written into HIPAA or into common criteria in SOC 2 or into, you know, PCI. So there's, uh, you know, there's, there's organizations that have to deal with all of these, these regulations. And it's, I mean, it's challenging to say the least. Um, if you're a small or medium company that has never had to deal with any of those, it, it seems really complicated, and there's parts of it that are really complicated. Um, two examples that I think are complicated for small and medium companies to implement are two-factor authentication for logging onto their computer systems. You know, they're yep. used to just having a login and password, and now they have to get some sort of, of token sent to them or, or some sort of text message that they can confirm. And how you set that up is, is complicated. The other one is um, encrypting the, the CUI sure. information you're storing and, and and so where you're going to store that on your company server, how you're going to ensure it's encrypted, how you're right. going to ensure who has access into that folder, you know, doing the folder permissions, it gets more complicated as you drill through the layers of it. And, right. and I do I do think it's great that there's companies like yours that are providing okay. that advice to, yeah. to the customer because it, it, it's not it's not in, in my organization's we're not technical enough to, to teach each of the 110 requirements and how to implement each of those requirements. But but there are there are great companies like yours. And I mentioned to you the other day the the center the the um, oh I just lost the name of it the the center of awesomeness the CMMC center of awesomeness there right, you go, right which is a great right. website I I just think it's a great website it's got it is a great website and it's got a great name anyway so even though i butchered it it's still a great website yeah and i think it's literally cmmccenterofawesomeness.com there you go something like yeah. that um oh no it's it's cmmc-coa.com so centerofawesomeness.com and it yeah. really is a, it is really a great website for for anyone that's that's um Actually, for anyone, really, because there's security practices in there outside of just CMMC. So uh, really good stuff. Well, with that, I, you know what? I, we're, we're pushing on the time. I don't want to steal too much of your time. Um, I really appreciate it. But as we finish every podcast, um, 
gonna, I know that you're, you're there in the, the middle of the country um, in Colorado Springs, but if you were going to tell us someplace you'd like to go to the beach on the water to grab a burger, grab a beer, uh, hang out with your, you know, your significant other, your family, whatever it might be. Where would you like to go? So I, I listened to a few of your podcasts and, and, and I was like, boy, that would be a tough question for me. Um, but you know, <laughs> I've, I've been in Colorado Springs for about six years now. And, and, and I was like, there's no harbor nearby. But I actually had a, I, I went to a, a meeting in Florida a few years ago at a place called Singer Island. And, and it was a beautiful place to visit. Had a nice harbor there. Um, I, I had a, a sat and had dinner at uh, oh, what was the name of it? Oh, the Sailfish Marina Resort. Um, okay. Sits a look out over the harbor. It was a great place to to. So that that's my reference for you. If, if you get a chance to go to Singer Island, it's a great place to visit. Singer like um, like the sewing machine. Singer. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Great. Singer. Oh, that's great. That's a great recommendation because I haven't heard of that place. So I'm excited. Oh, yeah. eventually, eventually, we're going to have a map on our uh, podcast website uh, that has pins of all the harbors that people have suggested. So, and then, you know, I think we're trying to develop it so that when you click on the pin, it tells you where it is, but it also links to the podcast. So uh, pretty cool. Well, yeah. Lynn, I really, uh, I really appreciate the time. Truly do. Uh, uh, we hope to connect soon. Um, really appreciate the insight, though. I appreciate the, the opportunity to speak with you and tell you about NCMS and 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 I enjoy talking about CMMC and CUI. So anybody who can ex exchange thoughts and ideas with me on that, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we can. We, I, sometimes I have to cut us off because us in this business that care dearly about it, we really like to talk about it. We get excited about talking about it. So, all right, I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Matt. Thanks so much. Harbor's innovative processes are based on industry standard frameworks that are tailored to meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. We would also like to thank Tom Marshall for the original music. Yes, that Tom Marshall from Fish fame. Harbor's portfolio of services is designed to meet the cybersecurity needs of small and medium enterprises. We offer a range of services from cyber risk advisory to VCSO consulting to meet specific security requirements without putting a strain on your technology budget. If you like what you heard here, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. We release new podcasts every other week and are available on Spotify and Apple. You can reach us through our website if you have additional questions or suggest a great harbor we should mention on our next show.